Hello and welcome to She's Creative with me, Claire Hodgson. Each episode, I chat to a different woman or non-binary person who works in the media or publishing industries, discovering how they turned creativity into a career. If you enjoyed the podcast, I would love it if you could rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It really helps boost us in the charts. If you would like to support the podcast, you can buy me a coffee on coffee.com slash she's creative pod. That's ko fi.com slash she's creative pod. My guest on this episode is writer Nisha Dolan. Nisha's debut novel, Exciting Times, was published last year and became a Sunday Times bestseller, as well as being shortlisted for several awards, widely translated and optioned for TV. Nisha also writes essays, criticism and features and was shortlisted for the Sunday Times Young Writer of the Year Award in 2020. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Nisha. Thanks for having me. No problem. Just to start things off, where did you grow up and what did your parents do for a living? I grew up in Dublin and my dad worked for the electricity supply board and my mum was a teacher. Cool. And when did you know that you wanted to be a writer? I still don't think that's a thing I want necessarily. <laughs> like, It's hard to define because there's the very specific iteration of how people write today with all the career connotations attached. And to my mind, quite distinct from that is the more general urge to fill one's time creatively. And those are very different things. So I never had an image of myself as doing podcast interviews, for instance, as a child, not least because um, I don't think I knew what a podcast was. But um, <laughs> I, like... I, I suppose writing was among the toolkit of ways that I passed my seemingly endless time as a child. Um, we weren't allowed to watch that much TV and I was quite introverted. So I was just in my room looking for things to do and writing was one of the things that I did, but it wasn't by any means the predominant thing. Mm-hmm. And you studied English at Trinity, is that right? Yeah, I kind of fell into it in the end because I'd tried a few other courses first but I I was just disastrous at making myself do things and as it happened I'd already read quite a lot of old books so I think quite lazily I thought why don't I try this course where the course consists of reading them and so I've already done the work and like obviously that was a naive assumption about um, how English at university goes but it, it served me well enough to get through the degree. (laughs) yeah absolutely and you did Victorian literature at Oxford as well how much do you think your studies benefited your writing and your career maybe not in the direct way of telling me anything particular about the technical aspects of writing fiction Mm. I, I think quite the opposite because the sorts of questions that I'm asked of my own work are just never the questions that you're trained to ask of anyone's on an English degree. So things like, do you like the characters? Or um, uh, is that your favourite kind of style? It, it just doesn't rear its head in academia because obviously you can't get papers out of something so subjective. So in that sense, it gave me a different lens. But in other ways, that lens is very helpful for maintaining a healthy distance because to me, books aren't hugely emotive. They're objects of study just because that's what I was embroiled in for so long. And I can see my own that way too. So when I get loads of edits back, I'm just like, fine, we're changing that, I suppose, unless I have some 
extremely logical well thought out reason not to so I don't cry which is useful because <laughs> I'm crying at work tends <laughs> to hold you back somewhat. When did you when did you first write something professionally like when were you first paid to write something? Ooh, I think it wasn't until I sold the novel actually it was suddenly the first big thing that I'd published I, I think I got money for the excerpt of it that was published in a journal before the mm-hmm. full thing was published so that was the first time a check was involved, but it was from the same book. So really, yeah, the novel was the first time I got paid. Mm-hmm. And so after you finished studying at Oxford, what kind of uh, work were you doing professionally after that? There were a bunch of like office jobs and internships and temping. And uh, mm-hmm. I, like, I, I think I just, you know, when I needed money, I didn't think I could find something and like we sold the book so quickly after I was at Oxford that I didn't really need to do anything more long term so yeah that's something else when did you start writing it um in kind of early 2017 what was the kind of process where you were like what inspired you to start writing it I had definitely decided on the novel format because it's one of the easiest way to get going without any particular connections or know-how with Mm -hmm. the industry if you want to be a playwright or a screenwriter you need to find someone who will stage what you've done. No one reads scripts completely on spec from people who don't have something else going for them realistically. Uh, you know, unless you're very lucky or make it through some talent program or something. So I, I thought the novel was a more, I suppose, secure way to see what I could do. Because if you show someone a novel, they have a much more reasonable idea of what it will look like as a finished thing. Mm-hmm. But then I don't know if I had thought it through that precisely. I think it's unlikely that I had it was probably more instinct than that this was my exact plan and reasoning at the time but yeah it was an approachable format and then in terms of the process I I think I tend to start on a very dialogue heavy basis so I just Mm -hmm. put a couple of characters in the room and find out about them through making them talk and then I go back and dig through that for kind of deeper hints to make it read a bit more interior. Yeah that's really interesting so when you're when you're kind of planning it out did you know before you started writing like this is what I'm going to do in this chapter this is what I'm going to do in this chapter kind of thing no definitely not I think I I went scene to scene so I might start a scene having some idea of what I want to have happened by the end but that was the absolute maximum of the planning really Mm -hmm. and when you were writing it when at what point did you start getting in touch with agents and things like that not until my hand was kind of forced because um when a friend put an excerpt in a journal like after my just having mentioned in passing that I was writing a novel and her offering to read it um then an agent got in touch with me having seen that um but very kindly and generously that agent said uh, look you should query other people too to make sure that you go with someone who's a good fit um which is just the kindest advice and uh, you know I knowing more about the industry now than I did at the time I see what a Mm -hmm. great mark of character it is to want to represent someone and actively say to them you should check out other agents too so I did that and um, one of the agents I submitted to just completely cold and Harriet I ended up going with and then we did some edits on the book and she sent it out. Okay so had you written had you written the full book at that point when you started talking to them yeah yeah. Do you think do you think that's normally um, the kind of standard process that people do? 
Yeah, I think it's very unwise to submit to agents if you don't have a full book to show them because um, right away, if they're interested, they're going to ask to see it. And, you know, I, I think on most agency websites, it will say don't submit until you have a full thing. But even if it doesn't, you wouldn't want to keep them waiting, I guess, because there's often a momentum around those kind of things. Mm-hmm. And you said you started writing in 2017. Was that right? Yeah. Was that after you had graduated? Um. It was in between my undergrad and my master's. Okay, so, yeah. yeah. How long do you think that process of writing the full book took? I, I suppose it depends on how late into the stage it needs to be recognisably like the finished product. So I had a book at the end of five months, but um, there were big plot elements that I changed later and the prose was a mess and stuff. So I don't know if one could say I had finished in that time. But then also, I took so long between edits, mostly out of necessity, because, you know, I was a busy person. I was studying a master's and doing part-time work and stuff. So it's hard to actually quantify how much time I spent editing it as opposed Mm -hmm. to how much time, you know, from first sentence to publication it was. But I suppose for a broad skeleton, five months for the first draft, um, sent it out to publishers about a year later no two years later and um then published three years later yeah it's quite a long um I guess for people that wouldn't know the the publishing process like that's quite a long time for you to start in 2017 and for it to come out in 2020 um after you've kind of after you got your agent what what does the process look like from there we did some edits together and then she basically took over from there um, to my immense relief. I think people outside publishing greatly overestimate the extent to which one personally needs to have good hustle. Um, at the very least, I'm a person whose hustle is so incredibly poor as to be not there. And um, <laughs> it's still whatever I've achieved um, has been achieved very much on the back of that complete lack of hustle. So <laughs> thankfully, Harriet um, just chose which editor she thought would enjoy it and mm. sent it out and then enough of them bid for it that we had um, quite an interesting week yeah and when you're speaking as well about how an agent approached you and then you you spoke to other agents what kind of advice would you give to people that are thinking about pitching agents or going through that process do your research I think probably Mm. the best sign of whether an agent will be right for you is if they say which authors they like on the website, that's obviously really helpful. And you can look at the authors that they represent as well. A common thing that people do is if there's a recent contemporary novel that they've liked, look in the back of the acknowledgements, the agent will almost always be there and then you can find that agent and see if it's a fit. And the thing is that's good strategic advice because someone who's likely to enjoy your work is obviously then likely to sign you, but it's also good advice for you. You really don't want to be in the hands of someone who doesn't understand what you're doing or won't pitch you in a way that you're happy with so I think sometimes there's an element of playing the long game and being patient because the right fit will really pay off down the line like Harriet is to this day absolutely the person I trust the most the person I go to first and I know she'll always be my corner and it's really worth them having held out I guess. Yeah I've heard a lot of authors say that it's really important to have that good relationship um, with an agent because it seems like you work together a lot is that would you say that's the case? Yeah I think so which is how I'm convinced that Harriet 
has some kind of time travel device or is otherwise superhuman <laughs> because there, there are a few elements of my workload that she does not at least see happening and she's got so many many other clients and she's so good at her job she's better at her job than I am at mine and she's simultaneously managing so many other jobs that are the scales of my own so (laughs) I don't know how she does it I don't know when she sleeps but she's incredible (laughs) yeah that's amazing and um you spoke as well about how there's an excerpt of the of the novel in a literary journal um do you have any advice for people that are trying to get published in similar kind of places? Yeah, I think um, being familiar with the journal is obviously a great start, especially if they publish regularly. I know sometimes people take that advice a little bit too much to heart and they'll go through past issues from years gone by where the editor was a completely different person or it was a different moment in the general mood. And so, you know, you don't need an encyclopedic knowledge, but if it's something that fits in with what's currently there that will obviously greatly increase your chances I think putting things aside and coming back and reading them aloud is another boring thing that everyone says but that's because it works and to this day I have to make myself do it and I'm always like (laughs) nothing will show up but there's always something that shows up and I think the third thing is to not take it too much to heart if you don't get a warm response initially because they're flooded with submissions and Mm -hmm. it's very much a labor of love that goes into these things people talk a lot about gatekeepers and publishing and I'm absolutely not denying the collective institutional reality that um, connections and other forms of privilege dictate opportunities in publishing but on the individual level especially for things like journals it really isn't people looking for reasons to not publish something. It's people looking for reasons to publish something. They really want to fall in love with something because then it makes it a much easier decision than if they've got, you know, 80 things that they feel kind of mad about. So I, I think for me anyway, it's a lot more comforting to think of myself as approaching people who have my interests at heart and just want to do something good together because then even if it's not for them on that occasion, it really does just mean it's not for them on that occasion and it's easier to feel positive about the whole thing in general. Mm -hmm. And you've also written um, a few short stories as well um, that have been published. Is Is that something that you did after writing the novel? Is that something that you've always kind of done? It's not necessarily a form that I've gravitated towards off my own steam. I think I'm much more inclined towards the novel because I just like dialogue that doesn't always serve an extremely relevant purpose to the plot and it's easier to get away with that in a novel and a short story kind of has to mean something. Mm. So it's definitely a form that I have to um, contort myself a little bit more to work within. But I suppose after the novel came out, people started asking me to write stories and it's so rare in this business that someone actively commissions you without any kind of lead in from you that it's an honour to try to live up to it and um, they they haven't stopped me yet so (laughs) maybe one day I'll just write one that's so bad that no one will ever ask me for another but until then I'll definitely write them when anyone requests. Um, I'm I'm sure that won't won't happen. Um, You as well, um, you said you wrote Exciting Times in five months. What was your What's your kind of writing process like? Are you really strict with getting up and doing it every day? Um, I definitely didn't have a routine because 
my routine was my job really and then riding was this slightly chaotic thing that I shoot in as and when I could but I'm definitely very comfortable with producing something that is empirically trash in the knowledge that I can make it not so later and I think once you've really internalized that that it's a lot easier to edit something than to produce it initially you know from there it's just about getting that workable slab and then sculpting later Mm -hmm. but that's because I don't get stressed out by the fact that it's bad on the other hand I do know people who if they've got a bad sentence in the paragraph just above that sentence bothers them and encroaches on their consciousness and their general faith and their ability so they have to go and fix it right there and then or else there's no moving forward and I, I think you have to know yourself in that kind of way for me it's easier to just not do that but if it's something that you're always going to do then maybe you do need to be a piece of the fact that you will seem to take longer to produce a draft but then your draft will be a lot more usable as a natural draft than my um, initial hellfire (laughs) do you have any kind of um structural advice like in terms of planning out the novel you can find skeletons for that kind of thing in books and online but for me what's more important than following the plot points or the beats they're called in screenwriting is knowing the reasoning as to why they're there so for example the reason that someone might tell you in uh, how to write a novel book to um, change the character's fate in this direction after a given page number isn't because there's something magic about that page number it's because there's a certain rhythm to reading where you want to surprise every now and then to keep you hooked so then if you've internalized that reasoning, then I think you'll be able to more intuitively shape that surprise so that it suits your book instead of reading formulaically. But that could just be because I'm the way I am. Like, I think I find it easier to do things after I know exactly why. And I'm the same with languages. Like I'm much better at languages when I've had the opportunity to sit down and study the grammar, whereas other people prefer perhaps to just get up and mess themselves. So. Yeah, as always, it's such an individual thing. But for me, I, yeah, I think the structural, procedural advice I would have is to understand what makes other people's structures mm-hmm. good and then um, go with the principle as opposed to the exact process. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And af- after you, you know, got your agent and, and the book deal and that kind of thing, at what stage did you know that it was going to be like, you know, like a big deal? Oh God. Um, (laughs) Well, my processing is about where it should be for someone who's just been through 2020, (laughs) which should you say this year has categorically not happened. (laughs) And um, I have no wish whatsoever to reverse that course of events because the amount that I would need to accept along with whatever's happened with the book um, would far um, overwhelm any benefits from the book stuff going in. So it just hasn't gone in, but it might be that way forever. I think for me it's extremely necessary to have boundaries between reception of something that I've already done and the process of doing it because otherwise I think you develop a full sense that it's all down to you that you're somehow causing all the stuff to happen and I think that's dangerous because you get either a a massive ego when it's going well or be a devastated um, ball up fists on floor ego when it goes less well and Mm -hmm. neither of those is a particularly um, conducive creative headspace so I think I just try to go oh that's happening and then back to what I'm doing 
Mm-hmm. Uh, it must have been really strange having a book come out during the pandemic because it came out in April. Is that right? Like right after lockdown. Um, how how did that feel? Yeah, I suppose the social niceties of it were quite odd because you get people being in touch like, I'm so happy for you, the world's on fire, but I'm so happy for you. And I'm just like, <laughs> yes, I agree that the world is on fire. What, sorry, what was that other thing? So, it, yeah, that, I, I think like virtually everyone else, I had difficulty caring too much about the book with um, what came with it. But I think it's probably easier on debut authors in a way because you're not comparing it to something else that you've had. I have no idea what a conventional book launch would have been like and mm-hmm. who knows if I'll ever find out, you know, so I don't really miss what I never had. When it was when it was first published, um, you know, it must have felt like quite um, a whirlwind with all the like reviews coming in and, um, you know, just everything surrounding that and interviews with journalists and stuff how did you find that and do you have any advice for for aspiring authors in terms of that it feels in some ways to me the exact opposite of the instincts that would drive you to write a novel in the first place because if I were naturally disposed to want to spend loads of time talking and thinking about myself I probably wouldn't have written the novel you know like I don't (laughs) think I would have written any thing at all it's much easier to just go to a pub and do that I'd say so I, I think maybe a degree of acceptance that you're doing something that doesn't necessarily come naturally or well to you um, I think as well though one quite interesting thing that's come of it is it's made me a lot more circumspect in what I take from other authors public presence and that's something that's useful for me to remember too if I feel like something's been framed slightly oddly or I'm not happy with what I said that it is just this very fleeting data of which people form a parasocial relationship with someone like any kind of vaguely public figure and that's not something that perhaps the casual consumer of that kind of media is constantly thinking about because why would they when I'm reading an interview with a sports figure I'm not carefully thinking did she actually say that or at the angle she holds a tennis racket or are you just projecting so <laughs> you know I don't blame anyone for just taking it all as a real person but I, I think for me it's useful to remember that what's being produced by it is not a real person and certainly not one that's reflective of me so I can Mm-hmm. you know to stay casual about it I guess yeah and if we can talk about the book now that would be great um you know I read it and I really enjoyed it I really liked how you know you wrote the main character's internal monologue and all the kind of subtle nuances of relationships and daily life um yeah could you just tell the listeners what the book is about yeah so it's Set in 2016 and there's a young Irish woman named Ava who comes to Hong Kong to teach English and Ava's quite an emotionally repressed person, someone who's quite spiky out of her self-protective instinct. And she falls in with Julian, a male British banker who's much the same way. So off this shared interest in avoiding sincere human connection, they weave themselves into a limited form of it. And this, I suppose, situationship satisfies her for a time and then she meets a woman named Edith who's faster moving maybe a bit more demanding but demanding of things that part of Ava wants so then her dilemma becomes what way does she want to be with other people and which relationships that's her best 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, great. And one of the one of the main things that jumps out to me uh, from the book was, you know, the kind of differences in the characters' class and and wealth. Um, was that something that you were really kind of interested in exploring when you started writing the book? I don't think so. I think for me, it's much the other way around. And actually, it's interesting. I was um, live streaming into the Adelaide Literary Festival the last midnight because it was in Australian time with the author, Jessie too, who um, has the exact opposite approach of this. You know, she said she starts with teams and then builds the characters around mm-hmm. them. For me, it's very much, I imagine, individuals. And then I suppose in my quest to understand them and portray them as part of a specific world that they interact with on terms that make sense, it might then emerge that that has implications for other people who identify with aspects of the characters or who've seen similar relations play out. But my initial aim is just to get my stick people down and, and mm-hmm. give them things to say. Yeah, and it's it's set in uh, Hong Kong and that's somewhere you've lived as well. What made you decide to write about Hong Kong? I think wherever I am, it tends to become the setting for what I'm writing. I'm not entirely sure why. I think it's because when you're walking around somewhere, living your life, it makes the work feel more immediate to you and you can tap into it more easily, I suppose. But then while that was probably the reason I started it in Hong Kong, after you have it set somewhere, everything slots into place for it to make sense like I can look at the relationships that transpire between the characters now or settings like Ava's TEFL school and think I've only encountered things occurring in such a way in Hong Kong so now it has to be Hong Kong but I'm sure if I'd started in a different place that place would also seem inevitable that's often the way with me in writing because I don't plan so I end up with something that seems to in turn we all click together but um, the departure point is quite flippant. I was reading some of the interviews you've uh, given before and you wrote, I think it was in the Irish Times, um, about how you're often asked in interviews how much the book relates to your own life and how that that's like quite frustrating because, you know, it's 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 about the novel, it's not about you as a person. Um, do you think that's something that women more are frequently asked if the book is based on them rather than men? My sense is yes, but to be fair, I haven't collated data on the matter. So um, <laughs> if, if someone else wishes to transcribe, you know, dozens of interviews of various authors and, and come up with something more concrete, they are very welcome to do so. But I, I think the impulse is that if you're not writing about men, you'd better have a good reason. And what's a good reason? Oh, that's you. Like, it, and it's not just gender either. It's any form of filling a novel with a non-traditional protagonist if you happen to share that identity with the protagonist you are seen as having taken an easy way out when actually what you're doing is engaging with the form in very serious ways that you wouldn't have had to if you took the more default route so I think it's subconsciously a wish for say women to justify why they don't write about men all the time, queer people to justify why they don't write about straight people all the time and to make decisions not to do so sound lazy as opposed to not wanting to work hard to represent someone who's already amply represented. And at the moment you're working on your next book. Um, Yeah, yeah. Is is there anything that you can say about that? 
And yeah, it's set in London. It's um, got a darker sense of humour than the first one, I think. And I'm doing edits on it. I can't say anything concrete about when it will be out, largely because I am terrible at logistics, but um, hopefully someone will have some information on that soon enough. So yeah, yeah I'm excited for it. Great, cool. And just to finish things off, what general advice would you give to someone who wants to pursue a similar career to yourself? I think just get focused on having something to show people because you'll never know when opportunities will come up for them to see it. And when they do, if you have something ready that's good, it's a lot easier to seize on any chance impetus. And I think as well, that's good for the work itself. If you're constantly thinking like, how do I get an agent when you don't even have the first chapter written, that's going to be really detrimental to writing that first chapter. So I think you need tunnel vision to write something good without being too worried yet about external reception. So just like keep your head down, get it done, and then think about what to do. That was author Nisha Dolan. You can find her on Twitter and Instagram at Nisha Dolan. And her novel Exciting Times is now out in paperback. I'll be back with another episode in two weeks. If you like this episode, please subscribe on your podcast app of choice and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. If you would like to support the podcast, you can give a small donation on coffee at ko-fi.com slash she's creative pod. You can find the podcast on social media at she's creative pod and I'm on social media at underscore Claire Hutch. See you next time.